Well, having lost my voice, I'm reminded about just how needy I am, how dependent on God's grace I am to do something that I take for granted, which is to speak, to preach, to teach. And as I reflect on this, it's perhaps appropriate that on a day when we're going to learn about unity, that uh, me, who is going to deliver this word, is humbled, uh, seeking God's strength, that we too, together as a church, might be humbled together, seeking God's strength, reminded that without God, we don't exist without God, we don't breathe without God, we don't get up in the morning. Without the cross of Christ, we're not saved. Uh, without the blood of Christ, we're not made righteous. And without the sacrifice of Jesus, the active work of the Holy Spirit, we cannot be united as one church. This is a work of God. And so let us come to God in prayer, asking him to bless us with unity. May he unite us by one spirit because of the one cross of the one Lord Jesus Christ. Would you please stand? Open your Bibles to Psalm 133. This is the word of God. A song of ascents of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's pray. O oh God. Strengthen my voice that I may preach your word. Strengthen this church that we may be united as one. And bless us with your grace and your mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Please be seated. Before I endeavor to explain this psalm, I just want to say one other thing by way of introduction, which is on a moment or on a day like today, it's not easy or pleasurable for you to listen to the voice of the preacher. All the more reason you have to look past me and get into the text itself, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to unpack what it is that he would have for you to receive, not from me, but from him. 
Uh, at the very beginning, we're told that this is a song of ascents. What does that mean, a song of ascents? This would be one of those psalms that uh, the people of Israel would sing as they gathered together in Jerusalem for the three mandatory feasts every year. So this would be one of those psalms that they would sing together, perhaps spontaneously as they were coming together from all the regions of Israel to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, to celebrate Pentecost, to celebrate uh, tabernacles. And, and this would be a song that they would sing and they would say, oh, it is so good and pleasant for us as brothers to dwell together because day by day, week by week, month by month, they weren't dwelling together. They were spread apart across the promised land in their own tribal inheritance. But three times a year, they would come together to worship God and they would sing, oh, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. The other thing that we learn here is that this is a song of David. This gives us some context. It means that uh, this psalm was written when David was the king. This psalm was written after seven brutal years of civil war, when brother against brother would fight. It was all of the tribes against Benjamin, and they almost wiped out the tribe of uh, Benjamin back in the day of Judges, but then it was between the house of Saul and the house of David. Judah fighting against the other tribes. And you had this infighting among the brothers of Israel. We know that Jerusalem was recently established as the one place of worship. So three times a year, as I said, everyone would come to Jerusalem, the place where God had set his name. And they would have sung this psalm under the establishment of the messianic kingdom. David is the first of the Messianic kings. And so as all of these people were gathering together from all over the 12 tribes of Israel, they were coming to the capital of the Messianic king. And they were gathering together to worship God who established David as king on the throne. And this is helpful for us because we too live in a post-Civil War uh, world in the church. The church has gone through... Uh, brutal times, and I'm not talking about South Shore, I'm talking about the universal church. In the last 2,000 years, the church has, has not always won the battle for unity. There's a great schism uh, just after the first millennium between East and West. 500 years ago, there was a, a schism between the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. And the Protestant churches, of which we are one, have continued to split and divide for 500 years, so that even today we're a Baptist church. How many different kinds of Baptist churches are there? Wouldn't it be great to be able to sing, oh, how good it is when brothers dwell in unity? This is something that we need to lament. We need to lament and cry out to God for his mercy, uh, that we just continue to split off one another and, and little things cause us to, to divide from one another. And rather than looking to the cross, rather than looking to all that brings us together, we, we squabble about little petty things that divide us. So we 
and find some instruction in this. Israel had just gone through a civil war. The church has been in civil war. Jerusalem as this place where people would gather. Jerusalem is a picture of heaven. The day will come when all of us will stream together to the new Jerusalem, the, the Jerusalem above. And we're not going to be worried about all that divided us when we stream together into the heavenly Jerusalem. We are going to be gathered together because of all that unites us, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the third part, under the messianic king. David was the king when this psalm was written. Jesus is the son of David, and we will come under his headship, under his kingship, and we will worship the one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, because of what he has done. Not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done once and for all on the cross. Amazing. So this, this song of ascents, this psalm of David gives us all that information structure of this psalm is very simple. It has an opening statement and then it has two similes. A simile is just an image that starts with like. So uh, uh, you say that something is like something else and that's a simile. And so really the opening statement says, oh how good and pleasant it is when the brothers dwell in unity. That's the opening statement. And then David is going to unpack that statement with two similes, two images. And we're going to learn three things about unity. So the opening statement, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. This opening word of the opening statement, behold, is, is a direction from David to look around. Behold. And so when, when all Israel was gathering together and they would be singing this song, it started with, Behold, look around you. All of these people coming from all over the 12 tribes of Israel, they're gathered together. Look at them. Look how many we are. Look at us coming together in unity. Look. And when you look, I want you to see how good it is. How pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. When we see all that we have in common. That word good, it's one of the oldest words in the Bible. Go back to Genesis 1 and it was good. And God saw what he had made and it was good. 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 And then he looked at everything he had created. He said, it is very good. I don't think I can compete with the air conditioner. So when David says how good it is when brothers dwell in unity, what he's saying is there's something pre-fall good about unity among God's people. It's, it's like when God created the universe before the taint of sin, before the disobedience of, of his climactic creation, man and woman. It's good. 
So when, when brothers in Israel, or as we're going to see, brothers and sisters in the church dwell in unity, we are expressing a pre-fall wonder, which is the goodness of what God has done. Who is it good for? It is good for us. It is good for creation. It is good to God. And it is pleasant for us. How, is it not pleasant when we dwell in unity? But it's pleasant for God. It's a pleasing aroma. I mean, that is the worship that, that God wants from us. We can't offer him our blood. Only Jesus Christ can die for the sin of the world. But what he loves from us is our unity, our, our inclination toward one another. And when our hearts are inclined toward one another, then our hearts are inclined toward him. Because it does not come from natural men to love one another. It's not natural to fall in humanity to love and to be united in that love comes from God and it pleases him. The brothers being referenced in Psalm 133 are the Israelites. So it's when these Israelites come together and, and dwelling, yeshav is the, the Hebrew word, dwelling could mean to live together, but that's not what it means here. It means when they come together to worship. And, and it has this, this connotation of sleepover worship. We're coming to Jerusalem to have a sleepover brothers and sisters and cousins sleeping over. I don't know if you ever have Christmas and you sleep over at one another's house. It's very exciting because you don't do that all the time. That's what this is like. Oh, how good and pleasant it is when we have a sleepover three times a year. And we worship God together. And when we do this in unity, we don't get into everything that has upset us that year in our family. But we're united. We have peace, shalom with one another. We are uniform in our submission to God. We all recognize that God is God and we are not. He is great and we are small. He is independent, all sovereign, and we are needy. Is your need any less than my need? Is my need any less than your need? This is the great unifying factor of the gospel. We all equally need Jesus Christ. So where is the division? Where is the infighting? I need Christ. You need Christ. We need Christ. So obviously, what is the point for us? Well, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We come to worship not three times a year, but once a week, at least. And when we come together, do we come together in unity? Do we seek unity? Do we long for peace with one another? Are we uniform in our humility, in our mutual submission to God? And if not, why not? I would argue that it's sinful pride, arrogance, a lack of perspective. When we begin to fight over small, trivial things, when, when the Lord of glory has given up himself for us. 
and we're all going in the one direction, why would we fight? Why would we be divided? It has to be small things. It has to be inconsequential things. It has to be petty things. Not that we won't have disagreements, but when we have disagreements, how do we have disagreements? Can we sit down and reason with one another? Can we speak lovingly with one another? Or do we have to be polemical with one another? Do we have to fight with one another? Paul writes about unity. Let me read for you from Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6. And I love how he starts this. This is after three chapters of Paul giving us doctrine about all that God has done for us from eternity past to the present age to eternity future. And then he says, I therefore, in light of all that God has done for us, a prisoner for the Lord, and I am in jail, says Paul. So you, you think you got something to be upset about. I'm in jail for this gospel. In light of all that God has done for us, in light of the fact that I'm in jail for the gospel, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility, all gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you're called, all of you, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see how much brings us together? And we were all perhaps natural enemies without Christ. But now that we have Christ in common, do you see all that brings us together? Why then would we be ever divided? David's going to go on and try and explain this with two images. The first image is in ver verse 2. It, that is unity. Unity is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Well, this is kind of a strange image, right? Because it, we don't relate to it. But this was a high point in Israel's worship life. This be, what's being referenced here is the anointing of Israel's first high priest. So what we can see here is that Aaron as a high priest over Israel is a picture of Jesus Christ. So unity is like the anointing of the high priest, Aaron, if you're Israel, or the Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to release the captives, to, to pay a ransom that nobody else can pay. Unity is like that. But let's take a look at Aaron's ordination. Aaron was ordained for his role as a high priest, that is, he was in charge of mediating God's relationship with his people. In order to do that, there was a special ointment that was created, and it was poured over his head. 
and it was so much oil, like it wasn't just sprinkled with oil, this oil, and he, I got to tell you, he had a big beard, big beard, gets this oil, pours down his head, over his face, over his beard, and is dripping on his robes. Now, if you have a big beard, you need a lot of oil to get to the robes. That's the point. Because what this oil represents is the selection by the grace of God. So the selection of God by the grace of God. God selected Aaron, and the copious amounts of oil is to represent the, the lavish grace that God poured over Aaron so that he could execute his duties as the high priest. And we know this because um, Aaron was ordained in Leviticus chapter 8. And do you know what happened in Exodus 32 previous to this? Aaron had constructed a golden calf to be a false idol. And he had the people bow down and worship not God, but this false idol. And now the man that made the, the, the golden calf, God says, in spite of what you have done, leading my people into false worship and apostasy, I have selected you to be my high priest. Therefore, God's lavish grace was required. That's the first thing that we learn about unity. Unity is a lavish gift of God's grace. More than us working for unity is God giving us unity as a gift. All those things that I read about in Ephesians 4, those are not things that we work toward. Those are all things that at the moment that you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment that you give him your sins, the moment that you see your sins hanging on the cross, the moment that you are justified and sanctified and regenerate and born again, at that very moment, all those things of unity declared to us in Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, are yours, irrevocable. You share in the one body by the one spirit because of the one Lord who gave up his one life. And that will never be taken away from you. Unity is a fact. Even when we're not experiencing or we're expressing or working out that unity, that unity can never, ever be taken away from us. It is a gift from God. And I want you to notice here in this image the double use of the Hebrew word yarad, which means running down. Unity is like the precious oil on the head. Running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. This comes from God. This is heaven sent. God doesn't just sprinkle us with a little grace and hope that we work it out. He's continually pouring this unifying love and grace over us so that, so that it is dripping down. Just feel for a moment. Just put yourself in Aaron's place. That, that grace of God is coming down on your head. It's coming over your face. If you've got long hair, it's coming down your hair. It's, it's dripping onto your clothes. So great is the lavish grace of God. 
And that grace which we share in common unites us. God anoints his people with unity. Unity is the mark of true believers. Now, I want to say something that's kind of frightening. When we don't have unity, I've just told you that unity is a fact. I've told you that unity is a gift from God. It's not something that we create. It's a thing that God gives us. What's going on when we don't have unity in the church? Without pointing any fingers, the hard truth is sometimes churches don't experience unity because it's not, the church isn't filled with true believers. So when we struggle in the church for unity we should all be on our faces before God asking for salvation for ourselves, for our loved ones, for the people in the church sometimes a lack of unity means a lack of salvation in the church that's scary, that's frightening not always not always. We have lingering sin nature. It's true. But sometimes brothers are not dwelling in unity because they're not brothers. So unity is very important, eternally important. The second thing that we learn about unity from this first image is that unity is sanctifying. What do I mean by this? Unity sets us apart as holy. So Aaron was set apart as holy. God said, you are my high priest. I have made you holy by your consecration. This oil that poured over Aaron down, down off his beard onto his robes that set him apart from the rest of Israel. What David is writing in this psalm is this, that when the people of Israel gather together three times a year, they are being set apart from the other nations in the same way that Aaron was set apart from his brothers. And just as Aaron was to mediate God's relationship with Israel as high priest, so it was the task of Israel to, to be a witness in the world, to be a kingdom of priests for all the nations, so that when all of these Israelites gathered together three times a year to celebrate these feasts, they were like Aaron, mediating between God and the nations, so that all the nations would look to them and say, why do you come together? Why do you celebrate Passover? Why do you celebrate Tabernacles? Why do you celebrate um, Pentecost? And then they would say, we celebrate these things because the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and he has done these great things for us. And, and then the nations were supposed to say, well, we want that. We want in on that. And they were supposed to fall down to Israel's God and be converted. You see, so it is like when the people of Israel gathered together, it is like Aaron. 
being set apart for his ministry. The nation was set apart by God. Now take this to the next step that we are the priesthood of all believers because of Jesus Christ, our high priest. And now, when we gather together in the church, sure, once a week, like we are doing right now, but always, when, when two or three of us are together, or five or six, or ten or twelve, we are to be set apart as holy so that when people look to us, and they say, well, there's something different. There's something good and pleasant about the church. When is the last time, and I have heard it recently, so I'm glad I can say this, but I'm asking you, when is the last time that any of your unsaved family or friends said, oh, how good and pleasant it is when you're gathered together with the church? Or how good and pleasant it is when we see Christians in the world? There's something good about them. See, that's what, that's what our unity is supposed to be doing in the world as people look on to us. We are to be sanctified. That is, I'm using this word in the priestly sense because it is a priestly image. We are to be set apart to be a mediator between God and a lost world. Now, we know that we don't mediate in a salvific sense. Jesus Christ alone does that. But we are to be his witnesses in the world. Jesus writes this in John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When we don't have unity, we are not loving one another the way Christ has loved us. And when we're not loving one another the way Christ has loved us, then no one will know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Moving on to the second image. So we learned two things, first of all, let me recap that. We learned two things about unity from that image. One, unity is a lavish gift of God's grace. Just picture the oil coming down over the beard of Aaron under his robes. Picture the same grace falling on you and then falling on us. This is heaven-sent grace, much of it. Secondly, unity is sanctifying. It sets us apart as holy. The way that Aaron was set apart, the way Israel was set apart, we are to be set apart in the world. Come to our second image, verse 3. It, that is unity. Unity is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Mount Hermon is a snow-capped mountain in the north of Israel. It's the tallest uh, of the, the Lebanese mountains. It's taller than any of the, uh, uh, the mountains in Israel. It's just on the northern boundary of Israel. 
and it was snow-capped most of the year round, so that even when it got hot out, then the snow would melt, and then the snow would fall down. It would come down the slope of Mount Hermon like a heavy dew. So that's the image here. Now, if you have water all year round because of this snow that is coming down, it also had a lot of rain, so it was experiencing a lot of rain all the time, but it was known for its lushness, for its fertility all year round. Now, by contrast, you get into the mountain range in Israel, and it can be very dry. Uh, the mountains in Israel are vulnerable to drought and dryness, and this was absolutely the case during the dry season. So this image is, imagine the lushness of Mount, of Mount Hermon falling on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is Jerusalem and the temple's on the top. So what David is saying is when we gather together from the four corners of Israel in unity, we are like the dew of Hermon coming to Jerusalem. I want you to notice here that number three, the third thing that we learn about unity is that unity brings about God's covenant blessing. We read about these blessings in Deuteronomy 28, 1 to 14. I'm not going to read them. But, but in these, it's all about fertility and, and, and life. Um, we have fruitful harvest. These are the covenant blessings. Fruitful harvest, many children, large herds of livestock, military victory, wealth and prosperity, rain. We, we take rain for granted. We grumble about it. But rain is life giving and long life. These are the, the old covenant blessings. When, what David is saying is when we gather together in unity, it brings about the covenant blessings because God is pleased with us. God is pleased. We're keeping covenant with God when we gather together in unity. And he, he showers on us these rich and fertile and lush blessings of life and longevity and prosperity. And it's, it's just like Mount Hermon. With the snow melting and constantly giving water so that there's always vegetation on the land. And we see here the third use of the Hebrew word uh, yarad. Right? We see it here. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Again, this heaven-sent blessing from God. Unity brings about God's covenant blessing. This is interesting because unity itself is a gift from God. So God gives us the gift of unity. Then having given us the gift of unity, when we live in that unity, he pours out more blessings on us. Now, we're not a prosperity gospel church here, so I'm not saying that if we're united, then we'll all have a Mercedes-Benz, we'll all have uh, massive houses, that we'll all enjoy um, large incomes or anything like that. That's not the point. But we are in the new covenant. And what God loves about unity is he wants to pour out new covenant blessings on us. We're told that we're given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. It just, what does that mean? Every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly realm comes down to us. What this means is that everything that God has to give, he is pleased to give. This is astounding. How much do you think God has to give? Is there anything that God would withhold from us? No. God has everything at his disposal. Most of all, he gives us himself. We receive redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. We receive forgiveness for all of our sin and trespasses. We are adopted into his family as sons and daughters of God, which means we are brothers of Christ and sisters of Christ, which means that we relate to God the Father the same way that Jesus Christ relates to God the Father. Now just think about that. Now we don't become God as Christ is God. But what a blessing that God is pleased to give us. Uh, he has promised us resurrection from the dead. Though we will die, this is where the, the fertility of the old covenant blessings is so exponentially more in the new covenant. Though, you know, in the old covenant, well, God will give us long life. In the new covenant, he will raise us from the dead bodily in glory to live with him forever. He will then give us eternal life. That's exactly what it says. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. For where? In, in, in unity, life forevermore. And then he'll give us dominion in the new heavens and the new earth. Paul writes about this in Romans 8. He says this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So if you're born again, that's true of you. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is talking about eternal death and eternal life. Are you going to live according to your fallen nature or according to your regenerate heart? For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. That Heirs of God, what does that mean? It means our inheritance is God himself and everything that God has to give with us. And fellow heirs with Christ, everything that God the Father gave to the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to give to us provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified in him, provided we're truly saved. Remember what I said earlier. Unity is a fact that is given to us upon our salvation. So unity is a mark of the children of God. And if we are united, then everything that God has to give, he will give us. 
last line in this psalm is this. For there the Lord has commanded to bless me life forevermore. Where is there? Right? Eternal life is there. Where is there? For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. Don't you want eternal life? Don't you want the blessing? Well, we got to make sure that we are there, wherever there is. Where is it? Well, in the psalm, it's when brothers dwell in unity. There is the blessing of God. There is eternal life. In the psalm, it's Aaron's caller. On Aaron's collar, where the oil dripped off his beard, there is the blessing of God. There is eternal life. Well, how do you get onto Aaron's collar? You receive the same anointing through the one high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the grace of God falls on you over your head, down your hair, over your beard if you have one, and onto you regenerating you there it's on Mount Zion here's a great promise once all is said and done the final judgment has come and gone the universe has been destroyed by fire and resurrected in glory then God takes heaven and he puts it on earth on Mount Zion and there the nations stream there the new heavens, in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, where all the regenerate saints will gather. There is the blessing of God. There is eternal life. Will you be there? Put yourself there. Now, work backwards from that moment. What can divide us? What matters so much that we would be divided between now and then? Let's not be petty. This psalm teaches us that unity is a lavish gift of God's grace. Unity sets us apart from the world as holy. Unity brings the covenant blessings of God, which is resurrection from the dead and a place at Zion in the new heavens and the new earth. Let's keep our focus. And with this in mind, I leave you with a few exhortations. I want to acknowledge that it is true that in the transition, some families that once called South Shore their home church, have decided that this church is no longer a good fit for them. That's heartbreaking. I want you to know that it hasn't gone unacknowledged, unprayed for. It's been cried over. There's been a lot of wrestling, but it is true. Uh, we have experienced division. 
but we pray for those who have left, that they would find a place where they can find unity because it's there that they find the blessing of God. I also want to say to we the church here at South Shore that in spite of the difficult transition with some, this is a very, very exciting time for the church. Um, I am excited. The, the elders are excited. I hope you're excited. There is such a strong foundation here at this church, which is Christ, and we stand on Christ. And so be excited. Um, I, I anticipate a very sweet spirit moving forward in this place. Uh, I am praying for and expecting God to bless us mightily as a church. So be excited. Christ is our foundation, and we are a solid base on which God will continue to build his church. Therefore, let us, we who remain, love one another truly. Let us learn from one another. Be quick to listen and slow to speak, all of us. Let us serve alongside one another in a common cause, which is Christ and his gospel in a lost and dying world. Let us do life together substantially and deeply over the things that really matter. And on those hard days when you need a brother or sister, look to your left and look to your right and see that you have brothers and sisters here at this church that want to do life with you. Let us pray for one another. Let us persevere with one another. Now, we're going to all make mistakes. I'm going to hurt you, and you're going to hurt me. And you're going to hurt one another. And so let us be quick to extend the same grace to one another that the Lord Jesus has extended to us by the blood of his cross. It's not that we're going to be perfect. It's not that we're going to be without sin. It's not that we're going to be without offending one another. It's not that we're not going to be right and wrong or wrong and wrong or whatever it is. It's not that all of our preferences fade away. But we can still be united in Christ if we always remember that we're going to be standing beside one another in the heavenly Jerusalem at Mount Zion. Together, let the big things hold us together when the little things threaten to tear us apart. Today, we're going to enjoy fellowship together at the Clink's house at a barbecue. We're going to break bread together. We're going to enjoy one another. And I would encourage you over the summer to do that more and more, invite one another over to your houses, have campfires, have lunch together, go on picnics, go to the beach, go to Canada's Wonderland, uh, go boating together, uh, have a drink of water together, serve in the, in the downtown together, go and evangelize together, whatever it is, do it together, but just spend time together, enjoy one another, go on vacation with your family and enjoy your family and don't feel guilty about it. Be glad that you're gone. But when you're in Barry, gather together with the saints. We're smaller in number today. It's going to be like that all through the summer. And, and it's, it's demotivating to the church if you're in Barry and you don't come to church. So if you can make it, make it. And if you're on vacation, pray for the rest who are gathered together. In the fall, we're going to be looking at the pastoral epistles. Join a group. 
Let's do this together. Let's implement 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus together as one church. In the fall, we're going to have ministry stewards after communion. Blair is going to present them to us. These are people that are going to help organize us in serving together. And now we're going to enjoy the Lord's Supper together. I'm going to ask Blair to lead us in the Lord's Supper. But this is what it's all about. Blair's going to talk about it. But we are united because of Jesus Christ. Let me pray and then, Blair, you lead us in the Lord's Supper. Lord, unite us. We know you already have through Jesus Christ. Now I pray that you would help us to enjoy that unity increasingly and add to our number those who would be united with us in Christ. And Lord, help us to bear with one another in love to your glory because it is good and pleasant to you when we do so. I pray this in Jesus' name.